Yeah. No. Well, thank you, Jenny. Yes, like she said, my name is Bo Banner. I uh, have been coming to Bluemont. I've been a member of Bluemont for like going on 10 years now. So glad to be here with everybody. Um, and yeah, I have been tasked with the impossible life money message. All right, so um, it's funny because when I think about kind of the world I swim in or the people I listen to or the sermons I hear about money and wealth, it's typically from people who have made a lot of it. And so that's not the case today for you guys. But um, God has done a lot in my life in this area. And I feel like I do have a lot to give um, when it comes to money and wealth. Not actual money and wealth, but experiences that God has, has given me and put on my heart. And really, when I was praying for this group for, for this morning, I just felt like God wants to refresh you when it comes to your life and money. That there's something new, there's a new mindset, or there's something fresh um, that God really wants to impart to you today. And that's, that's my hope, that you would hear from God about your money and your finances and your life. So I, I actually graduated from K-State and I started off working for Call to Greatness. I worked for Call to Greatness for five years um, outside of uh, when I graduated college and uh, we raised our own support, our own salary, and so we've um, been very familiar with um, God's blessing and provision and Him providing uh, what we need. And you know, we were actually, my wife and I, Ajo, we were really making good money. You know, it's funny to say we were in ministry, but we, we felt like we were able to bless a lot of people. We were able um, to live how we wanted to live, and God was, was so good in, during that time. And during that time, I, I, I started to discover a passion and a calling for business. And I graduated with a degree of, in business from K-State. And it was this thing that God sort of ignited, and specifically getting into real estate, um, bought my first rental property about four or five years ago now. And um, it was this thing that God just kept putting on my heart. So um, towards the end of last year of ministry, an opportunity opened up to go into the business world in the insurance industry. Now, I know everyone just yawned and is about to fall asleep because I mentioned the word insurance. But um, there was a good friend of mine. He was the, my boss and the owner of this insurance company. And um, I, I decided to dive in. I decided, okay, this is my opportunity to go into the business world. But at the same time, it, it took some faith because it was a pay cut. You know, I went from ministry into this. It was an insurance sales job, and it was a pay cut. So basically, my job was selling business insurance. So it was door-to-door -door sales, knocking, cold calling, going door-to-door -to, -door to every single business, I feel like, in Manhattan. I went to Topeka. I went to Lawrence. All over Northeast Kansas, I was everywhere trying to talk to people about the one thing they hate to talk about, their insurance. So I quickly, about six months in, realized, okay, this is very difficult. I don't like this. This might not be a good fit for me. But I I stuck it out for about a year and a half, and I got to the year and a half mark, and there was just there was a lot of a lot that God was doing in that time, uh, working on me. But I, I went to Colorado to 
Um, I hike a mountain. Me and my buddy, we went to hike a 14,000 foot mountain and you could say I had a mountaintop experience because on my way back to Kansas, I was being more and more convinced that I needed to quit that job. And I, I was miserable. There were so many times in my office where I was literally crying. I was crying out to God. I was so desperate for God to show up and I was drawing near to him, but I realized it wasn't a good fit for me. And so I get home, I get, get in the driveway, and I think, okay, I'm, I'm about to walk in and tell my wife, uh, we have two kids, my wife stays at home, I have no other job lined up, I have no, I don't even have a resume, I have never even made a resume, and I'm about to tell my wife I'm going to quit my job, and I, I don't know how she's going to react, I don't know how she's going to respond. Um, so we sit down, we have a, a two, three hour conversation, and to my surprise, my wife was very supportive. She was faith-filled um, about this decision, where I was still more like, okay, is this a step of faith, or is this foolish? Like, is this stupid to, to quit this job when I have nothing else lined up, nothing else in the works? Um, I had a hope and a preferred future of what I wanted to do, but there was nothing um, solidified. There was nothing for sure. So it was Monday. I go into the office. I spend the next eight hours praying and asking God what I should do. And then the next day I had a phone call with my boss and the owner and also a good friend. So um, I had a phone call scheduled with him, but I just called him early because I really wanted to do this the right way. I wanted to be really upfront with uh, what I was about to do. And I just said, look, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. This, this just isn't a, right, a good fit for me. And he was very gracious, very understanding. And actually, it was God's provision already being provided in that phone call. Because what he told me, my boss, he was also one of the owners of the company, he was like, okay, look, Bo, I'm not going to tell anyone that you're quitting yet. I'm going to give it a couple weeks. We're going to pay you a couple more paychecks. Um, we're going to keep you on our health insurance plan, and we're going to give you about a month to just figure out what you want to do next. And it was incredible. I was ready to walk away and like move on. We had a little bit of savings, and I, I was ready to burn through the savings to live, to provide, and, and trust in God. But, but in that moment, God was already providing um, what I needed, what my family needed in that moment from the owner of a company that was really taking a hit. That was, he was losing money. He was paying me, you know. Um, so then, uh, um, you know, a week or two later, um, an opportunity opened up with a good friend of mine. We'd been friend for a lot of, friends for a lot of years. And really, it was this opportunity came about through really like three, two, three years of conversations, talking, meeting with this, this friend. And he had a real estate business, um, owns a sizable portfolio um, in Manhattan of rentals. And I sat down with him. I said, look, man, I just quit my job. I want to work for you. I want to work with you and partner with you. Um, yeah, are we going to do it? So he still wasn't sure at the, at the time we met. But about a week or two later, he said, okay, I think there's an opportunity. I think we could make this work. And I, I end up um, starting to work for him. And it was a huge blessing. I mean, God completely provided 
and I felt, I felt like it was, was his provision, but at the same time, it was another pay cut. So I went from in ministry down to another pay cut, and then another pay cut, and there's this, this thought I had going to the business world that I was about to start making my money-making empire. You know, like it was, it was going to be rich with blessings and reward, and God was calling me to this, right? But here I'm 28, and I never would have imagined I would be in this financial situation. I would have never, like, if you look at the downward trend of my income is not the way society says it's supposed to be. You know, when you graduate college, you're supposed to be on the upward trend. You're supposed to make more money as you get older. And that's not the case for, for me. Um, but I, I began to realize that God was peeling back these layers like an onion, just peeling back pay cut after pay cut, you know, trusting him and trusting him. And I didn't realize how so deep-seated this, in my soul, this, this thing of looking to money for comfort, for security. I didn't really realize how, how embedded that was in me and how it was God and his kindness and his graciousness. And no amount of money could ever buy what God has taught me over the last three or four years. So through, um, through this process, I really began to learn um, that it's harder to handle success than it is failure. And I, I began to realize that God cares more about growing my character than any amount of success or achievement in the business world that I could have. And I, I started to really engulf myself in, in stories of entrepreneurs and business leaders um, and, and kingdom-minded people, and I, I started learning about there's so many people that are given a kingdom that outgrows their character. And I, I, what I mean is, is a classic example is someone starting a business, having you know, overnight success, making a ton of money, or if it's a leader of a church, or someone has a lot of influence, all of a sudden their foundation is compromised and begins to crumble because their character wasn't ready for the kingdom that they were entrusted with. And so then creeps in scandals, affairs, divorce, greed, corruption. And for me personally, the thing I thought about the most was just emotionally absent fathers and how I, I didn't want that. I didn't want that for my kids and my family. And I didn't want to really miss what matters in life. So there, there really is no shortcut to doing the long, hard work of excavating your soul when it comes to what you believe about money. Okay, it's, it's going to take a lot, of, a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of trust, but I, I'm really believing that God's going to refresh you with something today, okay? Are you guys with me? Yeah, okay. So I'm going to read uh, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. It's up here on the screen, I think. Maybe. Actually, I'll just pull it up on my phone. If, uh. Okay, so 
Um, it says, Matthew 6, 19 through 21, says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21 says, For where your trust is, there your heart will be also. Sorry, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For, for, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so it's this theme that money reveals the true motives of the heart, for good or for evil. Because what we value is where our money's going to be. What we value is what our money's going to buy. So I want us all to know that God is at work behind the scenes in our lives when it comes to our money situation. And there is so much more to money and wealth than a number. Because at the end of your life, God doesn't care about the commas and the zeros. But he cares about, did you let him make your life count? Did you love him? And did you share your life and your resources with others? And so the title of my message is Life Without Lack. And this is only the beginning of living a life without lack. All right, so, so jump, kind of jumping in, what do we really need to know about money? First thing is, um, God cares a lot about money. Actually, in the Bible, money or wealth is mentioned over 2,300 times. 2,300 times money and wealth is talked about. And it was actually Jesus, it was his most talked about topic. He talked to, about it, I think it's 11 out of 39 parables. 15% of the time, he, Jesus was talking about money and wealth. Um, also, money reveals uh, the human heart for good or for evil. We read that in Matthew 6, 21. And then we get to this concept of abundance and scarcity. So abundance in God's kingdom and scarcity in the world. And it's not hard to recognize scarcity in the world today. If you think about the recent bank collapses, governments printing money endlessly, it seems like, um, wages are not keeping up with the cost of living. People are unable to buy houses or buy property. Consumer debt, credit card debt. What are people always worried about? It's not having enough. The number, the number one thought that dominates all of our minds when it comes to money is not having enough. Will I ever have enough? You know, for retirement, if you ask... Any retired person, they wonder, am I going to outlive my savings? Am I going to outlive my savings? Am I going to be able to live the way I want to live? And we're told to start now. We're told to start as soon as you can. Start saving for retirement, right? Um, you know, will we have enough for groceries, bills, kids' college, medical bills? Our society is always looking towards the future. I'm going to read uh, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? 
And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed, arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Yikes. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, or the pagans, some translations say, seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, when I read this verse, I think, man, it's so simple. Okay, it's, it's right there. Like, don't, do not be anxious about your life. Um, but we all have a money situation that causes anxiety. We, we all, that's something we all struggle with. We all think about. And so, although this passage is simple in its, in its context and in, in the explanation and the command, it goes so much deeper. It's like I mentioned before how, how deeply rooted in my soul looking to money for security and comfort really was. So it's allowing this passage to really penetrate our hearts and reveal what we believe. Where are we looking to for provision? Um, and then I really, uh, in verse 25, that part where it says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Okay, this is where I want to introduce just a greater vision for money and wealth because God has a greater purpose for your life and your money than just getting the pill, bills paid or saving for retirement. He wants to use your money for more than just meeting your own needs. Because the, the truth, the reality is provision is easy for God. Provision is like the easiest thing for God to do. To provide for, the, for his children as a father, like that's what he wants to do. That's his heart. That's who God is. He is faithful. So provision is, is really easy for God, but he wants your money to have impact. He wants to actually grow and expand your mind, expand your vision on what money and wealth can be used for and what it can do in the kingdom of God when it doesn't have such a tight hold on your heart and your soul. So the idea that you will be satisfied by chasing a big promotion, a dollar amount in your 401k or your savings account only pushes happiness further and further into the future and is always out of reach. We've always heard money can't buy happiness because there's no amount of number, there's no number that will satisfy the longing for security when you're just looking to money for that security. So in my, in my time um, in, in insurance and kind of throughout the last three years, I've been really, um, I've become really familiar with despair. And I'm glad we sang the, the song we did, uh, God of the Break, Breakthrough, Shake Off Despair, as I sing out your name. Because despair, and when I say it, you know you felt it because you feel it right here. Not in your chest, not in your stomach, but really in the core of who you are is where you feel this sinking pit of despair. And it's like a heavy rock that just sits there. And it's, 
it gets heavier when your mind is racing, when you're thinking, will I have enough? Um, how am I going to make more money? You know, is, is this going to work out? Um, do I have enough to pay the bills this month? Or how am I going to have enough when I have kids? Whatever it is, but all those thoughts of scarcity make that rock heavier and heavier and heavier until you're in this pit of despair and you, can't, you feel like you can't get out. So despair is the complete loss or absence of hope. And what I, my definition, or I don't know if it's my definition, but it's what I think of, is despair is a future absent of God. Despair is a future absent of God. A future absent of the power of God to bring hope, light, life, provision, and abundance to a financial situation that overwhelms you right now. Okay, now bear with me because despair is heavy and I know we've all felt it and it's overwhelming and actually this isn't easy because God doesn't want it to be easy. And I, I've really learned that the truth about God providing and God's abund abundance isn't just to make our lives easier. It's not so we can just sigh a big sigh of relief when, when we have enough money for something, um, but it's this truth is really about God breaking down our sinful souls to the core and our tendency of self-reliance and looking to money for comfort and security. That's what it's really about. God doesn't provide just to make our lives easier, just to, so he can make us more comfortable. Um, but he, he wants us to come to know the fullness of life that he freely offers so that we can live a life without lack. And he wants, us to, he wants to change our hearts so much so that we truly believe that the most valuable thing we could ever have money can't buy because it's free. And that's the life that Jesus offers you, offers us. So it's funny because I still feel like a baby in this. I still feel like God is doing so much in this area of my life, and um, it really happens over time. And I've learned that it's, it's kind of this long obedience in the same direction of, of every situation, every time something comes up that involves money, you bring that to Him over and over again, and you say, God, I, I give my, my finances to You. I bring my money under the rule, reign, and authority of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's a process. It's the long obedience in the same direction when it comes to our money and our finances. And uh, in, verse, in the, the last verse I read, Matthew 6, verse 32, it says, or verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So it's about bringing your finances under God's rule that leads to the most flourishing life. That's how we really begin to live a life without lack. Um, so he, I'm going to read uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, isn't that so cool that God, God is about our enjoyment? God wants to give us joy. And when we think of money and finances 
and what, what we're supposed to do with them. It's always this, it's always subtraction based. We always think of money leaving, you know, but really God is about our enjoyment. He's richly provided us with everything for our enjoyment. And I just think that's so cool because that's who God is. Verse 18 says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So here we have um, really a charge, you know, an encouragement for, for to be generous and willing, willing to share. And actually when we give, when we're generous, we're growing our character. We're, grow, we're, we're setting a firm foundation for our lives. And this is a foundation that's eternal, and it helps us to actually take hold of life that is truly life. It helps us to w- step into the things that really matter. When, we're, when, we're, when money doesn't have a grip on us, when, when we're free from the enslavement that money can have on our heart and soul, we're able to step into the life that is truly life. So, if this is new to you and you're thinking, okay, how do, where do I start? How do I begin this? What do I do? Um, or if you're familiar with this, how do you get to the next level? What refreshment, what new mindset is God wanting to give you today? So, living a life without lack means becoming your most generous self. Living a life without lack means becoming your most generous self. And here, I'm going to talk about the act of giving of becoming a person who lives radically generous. Because when we choose to give our money, we go to war in the spiritual realm and we push back the forces of evil and the gods of money in our lives. When we give, we break the yoke of enslavement money has over us and we declare that money no longer has a hold on my life and no longer chains me to scarcity, anxiety, and despair. So when we give, it's more about money, a money exchange. But when we give our money to the kingdom of God for him, for his purposes, there's something that happens. Uh, you know, a need isn't just met physically or, or provided for physically, but there is something in the spiritual world that, that we're going to war and we're putting our money at the forefront, at the, at the forefront of this battle, and the spiritual darkness is pushed back. And we're saying, okay, the God of money does not have control over my life. I combat the lie of the enemy with the truth of God's provision by using my own money and wealth to give and be generous, being willing to share. That's what it's really about. That's where we can get um, practical. So you might be thinking also, well, I don't have much to give right now. But the truth is you do. You have something to give. And I remember um, early on in college when I first started following Jesus, uh, money and wealth was actually something that was on my heart from the beginning, even from probably when I was a kid. Um, And he told me, God told me, give now like you want to give later. So I had had these visions, this this goal of like, man, I want to buy people cars. I want to give $10,000 away. I want to give $20,000 away. But that will never happen if I am not willing to give $10 away or $50 away or $100 away. 
That will never happen because if you think, okay, when I have money, that's when I'll start to give. If you haven't practiced the long obedience in the same direction, it's not going to just magically happen. Your heart doesn't just change like that. So I'm, I'm talking about giving our money, but I'm also talking about how, how generosity is really a lifestyle. How it's about opening your life to others. It's about having an open heart and an open mind to other people's and saying, everything I have is God's and I'm willing to, to share with other people. And so that could be, you know, I kind of think of it in terms of short-term gifts. So that could be having someone over for dinner, providing the meal, not expecting anything in return. Um, that could be providing a need for a family, giving to a family. One thing that my family does every Christmas, um, as a family with our kids, we go to the local homeless shelter and they have a tree and they have a bunch of ornaments on this tree. And the ornaments are uh, Christmas wish lists for people staying there. So with our kids being young, four and three, we always say, hey, we're going to pick out one or two ornaments, and we're going to go to the store, kids, and we're going to buy everything on this wish list, and we're going to give it to them, because that's what, that's what we want to do. That's what we want to teach our kids. That's, that's how we want to be generous. So there's these short-term gifts. That's just opening up our, our lives, our home, um, giving to needs here and there. And then I think there's uh, this term, long-term investments. So there's, there's things that, in the kingdom, there's organizations or missionaries or things that grab your heart that God is asking you to make an investment in for the advancement of his kingdom. So this is long-term. This is something like, hey, I'm putting my money here, and I believe in this person or this mission, and they are going to, God is going to use them to multiply the finances that I give to those organizations. Proverbs 11, 24 through 25 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the, ri all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. You never keep what you withhold. You never keep what you withhold. And what I mean by, by that is there's money that God wants you to give right now. Wherever you're, whatever money situation you're in, God wants you to give. And you think you know what you would do with that money in your budget. There's, there's needs in our lives. There's bills to pay. Um, there's things we need to use that money for. But you withhold or we withhold out of a place of anxiety and lack so really, you aren't adding peace, joy, and rest to your life. And you never keep what you withhold. So that money that you think can be used for other things, I truly believe if my family didn't give the money that God asked to us each month, that money would just disappear. Like, I don't know where it would go. It would be eaten up by bills or stresses in life or just, like, we wouldn't be able to use that for anything that we really want. Because it's, it's God, it's, it's what he's asking to, us to give, to be faithful with. So you never keep what you withhold. And you know, giving was introduced to me from a young age. From the time I started making money as a kid, I can remember my parents making me tithe. We'd go to church, I'd have to get this blue envelope from the back of the seat at church. Blue envelope, I, mean, I, went to, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, so there was 
There was other like blue things on the back of the chairs, like robes and, and blankets and <laughs> things. But I just remember that envelope. I can remember it as clear as day in my mind. But my parents would make me take it out, write my name on it, how much money I was giving, which for us, you know, it was 10%. And I remember I had a paper out, and I made $80 a month as a kid. And this was like a part-time job. I mean, I, every day after school, at 6 a.m. on Saturday mornings, couldn't stay the night at my friends. They couldn't stay the night at my house unless they wanted to help me at 6 a.m. But I made $80 a month, so I gave my $8 a month every single month. And I remember filling that envelope with quarters and dimes and nickels and dollar bills, and I, I gave it, you know? And, and it wasn't a lot, but it was something that was important. And it was what I had to give at the time. So, so how, how much should we give? What is tithe? What is an offering? And, you know, the tithe is, is the Old Testament. And it was this concept of everything they had was God's. You know, everything we have is God's. All the money, all the wealth. And it was the act of being faithful and giving back what is God's to, like what is already God's giving it back to him. And that was 10%. That was the first fruits. And so they practiced this in what they had, and their resources. And so people get hung up on this 10% number, and should it be 10%? You know, that's Old Testament. But if we look at the New Testament, Jesus, he asked the rich young ruler to sell everything and give it all away. Not just 10%. And if we look at the life of the disciples and people who follow Jesus and his teaching, Jesus required a lot more than 10%. People left their families, they left mothers, fathers, they left brothers and sisters, careers, jobs, to follow Jesus. So this notion that we're hung up on this 10%, and I don't know if it should be that much, let's, I mean, okay, well, let's look to the New Testament then, because it's, it's, there's a whole lot more for us to give of our lives and our, our resources in the New Testament and what Jesus asks of us. So with that being said, what amount will push you and make you uncomfortable in your giving? Are you, are you uh, giving your leftovers? Are you looking at the end of the month and thinking, okay, blah, 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 all my bills, budget this out, and okay, well, this is what I have left, I'll give. Or are you giving your first fruits? Because God owns everything. Everything we have is God's, and he wants us to be faithful to give that back to him. So for me um, and my family, you know, I personally, I personally believe that 10% is the starting point. That that's really the baseline. And, and like I said, this isn't law, this isn't a commandment, but, but this is just my own experience. And, and I, I think we should desire for, to give above and beyond 10% of our income. And that's to, you know, that's to the local church, that's to other missionaries and other kingdom organizations that God has put on your heart. And I am fascinated and inspired by these stories of, of entrepreneurs and business leaders that this idea of they cap their income. Okay, so there's these two brothers that took over a family business. It was a transportation business. And at the beginning you know, maybe they had 15 employees. Not, it was a small, small company. And so these brothers took it over from their dad, and they sat down and said, we're capping our income at $160,000 a year. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's a lot of money. We could all live pretty nicely on $160,000 a year. But this company began to grow 
over the next 10 years from 10 or 15 employees to 1,000 employees, and their revenue grow from a million dollars a year to $400 million a year. And these brothers kept their income consistent the entire time. They still work in the business. And so they give away $20 million a year of profit. There's two owners in the company. So if you know anything about business, who splits the profit? It's the owners. So while you might be thinking, okay, $160,000, that's a nice life, these guys could be making literally $10 million a year, easily. But they've chosen to give that money away. They say, hey, this is God's money. This is God's company, and money will not have a grip on our lives. And their needs have been met, and actually, all their, all their kids are like out of the house, and they have, they have jobs. So the, the main owner, him and his wife, lowered their income. It's like, hey, we only need 100000 now, you know, so we're, we're good. And they continue to give away $20-plus million every year. So those are the kinds of things that I want us to be inspired by, that, hey, God is going to meet your needs. He's faithful. That's who God is. But remember, provision is the easiest thing to do for God because that's who he is. Okay, so ultimately God wants to give us an abundant life and help us live a life without lack. And to close, I uh, just want to read this last verse. It's Malachi 3.10. It says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Jesus, for, for who you are. Thank you, God, that you... You are the God of abundance. You're the God of provision. That in your kingdom, God, there is unlimited wealth. And we, we thank you for that, Lord. I pray um, just for, for our hearts and our minds to be changed. God, and I even pray right now for specific money situations in, in, just in this group. Specifically, individual, God, you know what's going on. You know what people need. Lord, I pray right now that there would be something lit in our hearts to trust you, to say, okay, God, I'm going to give. Maybe for the first time, or maybe you're going to increase your giving and saying, yeah, this doesn't make sense because we have this need or we got this expense coming up. But God, that if we put you to the test, you will open up the windows of heaven and pour down blessing until there's no more need. God, we take hold of that. We believe that. And we pray that that would, that would happen. In Jesus' name, amen.